Welcome to She's in Control with your host Sally. She's in Control is a podcast that brings to light inspiring stories of Arab women. Every Sunday, we invite you to join us as we delve into the life of impactful Arab women who has made significant contributions in various fields. Today, I'm so excited to introduce the fourth interview with an inspiring Egyptian woman, Nurhan or Nino, who will share to us her journey, her most challenging moments, including when her mom got diagnosed with cancer and passed away almost one year ago. When Nurhan reached out to me to participate in the podcast, I was inspired by her good humor and the positive energy she spreads. Hi, Nurhan. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? All good. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the She's in Control podcast today. And to start, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Of course, I'd love to. Uh, I'm Nurhan, uh, and I'm very much called Nino most of the time by the kids in my clinic. I'm a pediatric dentist, and I'm also a teacher. Uh, so basically, 90% of my day, I'm dealing with kids. I have a, a new hobby every single day. So I wake up today, I like to paint. I wake up tomorrow, I want to try violin, for example. So I have a different hobby every single day. That's nice. Yeah, so I, I love it. The, the thing that you want to discover new things and discover new activities, such as painting or even starting to play music or an instrument. Yes, exactly. I'm 24. I'm a very, very, very basic girl living in Egypt, trying to do something great and be a kind person at the end of the day. That's everything about me. So basically, usually when I start the conversation with my guests, I start with uh, the childhood experience because I believe that understanding the context and the environment where someone uh, grew up helps to understand their personality how they grew up uh, gives a lot of details about uh, the person they are today. So my first question for you, it's uh, regarding your childhood experience. I'm curious to uh, discover how was it? What memory do you have from your childhood? How was your relationship with your family? My childhood actually had different locations. Like um, I, I lived abroad in four different countries. In each country I've lived in, I've had a different type of life, actually. In Egypt, my memories of Egypt are not like my memories of Syria, are not like my memories of Lebanon, so on and so forth. So I have a major memory in each of these countries. I had to actively adapt in each situation and in each and every uh, place I get to live in. So I ended up with too many memories with different themes like uh, they're not the same none of them are the same this game this fact itself is a memory actually <laughs> that my life was very very uh mixed and was very uh different from many many childhoods around the time yeah i i can uh relate you mentioned that you so you lived in uh, several arab countries before like staying in egypt how old were you when you like lived in uh, these uh, Arab countries? I left Egypt when I was... Uh, my mom told me that I left Egypt when I was like two months old. And then I came back like to live in Egypt forever. Uh, at year seven. 
year seven. So from my childhood to year seven, I'm just traveling around. 14 years, 15 years. Ah, okay, okay. So which memories do you have from this, uh, let's say, seven years abroad? Because you mentioned that you had to adapt in each country, like in Syria and Lebanon. What were like the differences between these countries? How was like the adaptation process? I know that you, you were like a child, but uh, if you have like some uh, images uh, in mind. The thing is, being a child, you're actually more forced to uh, adapt as you go to school, you're going to meet new people, you're going to meet new friends, and then you're, you're going to have to make them like you at the end of the day. Because you're, a, you're an outcast, not in a bad way, not, not always in a bad way, but you have to do something that makes them like you. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people like people who look like them or talk like them or do something like them, especially kids. Uh, kids don't like something that's out of their norm. I remember, like, for example, in Syria, I've been taught how to talk Syrian very good. They didn't notice uh, that I was Egyptian, for example. And that was in me because I didn't want to be felt like I don't belong, which is a thing because Syria was the country that we lived in the most. In Lebanon, for example, I was in international school and there the country is more open to new ideas. Not unlike Egypt or unlike other countries, but they have, they're more open to new cultures and new ideas and, 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 which my parents didn't like very much. Like, for example, in Egypt, they get to raise kids in a way and in Syria, they get to raise kids in another way and so on and so forth. You don't understand me. So in Lebanon was the most culturally shocking for my family as it was an international school. So we had also uh, different expats and kids of different nationalities too so it was very <laughs> it was very messy at this point yeah so two points here it's really interesting to notice that you try to learn the syrian dialect to feel like integrated and included in school and from early age so you really notice that you need to be like them you know to not feel excluded or, or and this is really like a good point because Usually people in Europe or in America, they used to, all the Arab countries, they think that we all speak like the same language, the same dialect, but uh, there are a lot of differences between like Arab countries, as you mentioned. Yes, exactly. And I didn't really put effort in this area because as I told you, my Lebanese experience was different. As Also, as I said, the Lebanese culture is more accepting of other ideas and other cultures so I didn't really have to because they we were a lot like we were Egypt I remember my group of friends were Egyptian and Dutch people also Moroccan so we were actually from different places most of us okay yeah so it was like an international environment so you didn't feel that you were like a different or the only one who is not like a Syrian or Lebanese everyone around you was uh, from uh, another culture Exactly. Yes, actually, people who were Lebanese were a minor <laughs> at this point. I understand. Why do you feel like your parents faced the culture shock in Lebanon? Because it was like so open, but in which way? It was in different ways. Like, it's a little bit, it's not a little bit, it's very different from the Egyptian school. They're the parenting school, I mean. At the end of the day, I remember I talked to my parents about that before. And they told me that 
the fact that they were traveling a lot, they always had this uh, fear of raising me the wrong way. Yeah. Wrong way, <laughs> underline a wrong way. But they just know one way of how to raise a child that they were taught by their parents. It's just a cycle. Syrian culture or Syrian parenting school is somehow close to ours. And of course the Lebanese, but the thing is, as I told you, that I wasn't really in the Lebanese culture. It was more of an international experience. So they were so scared that uh, either I get westernized, which is okay, but for them at the moment, at that time, sorry, it wasn't much of a good idea. Because they were so scared that I got away from religion, maybe I got away from our... uh, uh, ethics and culture and you know that's basically the thing that really scared them they were, they were very scared of me losing my past for example <laughs> mm. totally uh, relate uh, it's the same for me when uh, when we moved to France and we started you know having some uh, French friends and other like nationalities but mostly European your parents uh, got less scared to as you mentioned just like miss your past or doing something wrong or something shameful for them I can uh, totally relate and it's interesting because you were like an international school but still in uh, in an Arab country you know not in Europe But even when you have like an international environment, even if it's like in Arab country, you still have this uh, alerts and this concerns from the parents. Of course, because you know there's this um, saying they get to say they get to say uh, that is a So basically, what does that mean? That your friend is gonna drag you, no matter the nationality, no matter where you are. That's how it is. So for them, they're just scared that your group of friends would influence you to do whatever. Yes, I don't know if it's like an Arab thing, but this is something uh, I think every like Arab children uh, listen this at least uh, once in uh, his life. Not once, not even once. Yeah, every day, you know, you need to be surrounded by good people, uh, uh, people who are like hard students who want to succeed if you want to succeed. Otherwise, you will uh, just be influenced by wrong people. Actually, when I was younger, I was very angry at them for like, I want to be friends with that. I want to be friends with that. Uh, No, I want to do this. I want to do that. But actually, as I got older, I saw how accurate this is, actually. If you pick your friends, if you pick your environment, you're actually going to succeed. Now, now when I'm older, everything that I was very angry at when I was a kid, because I was very like, no, I want to do this. I want to do that. I now know for good that they were right. And I definitely do that to my kids. You know? mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, it's uh, it's normal because when you are a child, you know, you don't really like make your own decisions. You need to follow, let's say, your parents' uh, decisions and what they uh, think the best for you. Of course, sometimes your parents are right when you, you know, your parents uh, tell you, okay, don't do that because it's not right for you or it might uh, hurt you. Sometimes they are right, but sometimes also they are just giving you some uh, guidelines and some rules without really explaining the reasons behind. So when you grow up, you're like, okay, but why? You know, you don't explain to me why uh, I should uh, should not do that or talk to that person. And when you grow up, you develop this curiosity, you know, 
to just trying to build your your point of view. I can understand. And it's interesting because you mentioned that you stayed, let's say, in Syria and in Lebanon and you came back to Egypt at seven years old, right? No, at fourteen. Uh, Ah, at 14. Okay. Now I understand better because, you know, I think like from 10 to 14, this is like uh, the critical age uh, for any parents, you know. Exactly. You came back to Egypt at 14 years old. What do you remember? Were you happy to come back to Egypt? Actually, I want to add something that one of the main reasons that we came back, aside from the war in Syria, of course, one of the main reasons that we came back is that my mom was like, no, I want her to grow up in an Egyptian culture. I'm so done with putting all the efforts myself. I, wanna, I want her to grow up uh, between her family and between her friends and everything. I want her to understand better, understand better her culture and everything. Not more of a culture, but more of terbeye. Uh, at that time, I remember that I was a little bit uh, distressed. I'm just going to put it in this this like uh, this word because uh that wasn't like, the first time we relocate so every time i got i got to make friends and i got fond of them and i'm good with them i i know how things are done i get to relocate again so as much as that helped me a lot to shape me actually this shaped me a lot right now of who i am at the moment yet at the time that was very distressing to me because I have not only to relocate uh, the, the, the home, you know, every time I made peace with my new room, I get to change my room. Although I love each and every room I have ever had. Because to compensate for the amount of times we, get, we got to relocate, my parents always compensate with this. Like uh, a very, very nice new room, a very, very nice new toy, for example. I've, they try to bribe me in one way or another. It was very much working. It was good. I, I was, I'm not complaining. That was amazing. But every time I made peace with the fact that, okay, now this is the place I'm going to grow up in. Now these are my friends. This is my room. Everything, I got to leave. Okay, so for your parents and for your mom, it was like the best decision to come back to Egypt at 14 years old. In a certain way, do you feel that when you grew up between several places or you face more challenges to discover yourself and who you are as a person uh, actually i think uh, it's not that i think that gave me more options to look at like i figure out maybe if i've only lived in one place i was gonna stick to the one personality or the one trait i have or the one thing i know how to do but the fact that i got to speak different dialects, got to experience different personalities, different character traits, different stereotypes. That actually opened my eyes to different things that helped me right now to know what I want to do, what I don't want to do, or what do I accept and what do I don't accept. So actually, I'm not really with you in this part. It somehow helped me. It, it helped me better, actually. It didn't... Um, it, it didn't let me struggle in that part at all. Honestly. Yeah, I totally understand. I, I I guess, you know, every person is reacting in a different uh, way, depending on, you know, the their childhood, the, the education they had. But of course, as you mentioned, when you grow up, maybe between different places, it gives you like, a, as you mentioned, 
many options and you can like go and pick uh, some elements you know you are okay with in opposition it can also help you to discover what you don't like and what you are not okay uh, with it and actually my mom was a social butterfly herself so I believe also parents do have a huge factor in this because maybe if my parents weren't very uh, social or weren't or if they just like finish work and go home and do nothing, that maybe I would have reacted to the situation differently. But due to the fact that actually my parents, especially my mom, my dad yes used to work and come back, uh, but mom didn't didn't work, so she she used to like uh, meet people and always always do gatherings and stuff. So that actually helped me out, pushed somehow my confidence to like you're good, you know how to talk. Look at your mom. She's good. She knows how to talk. Do mm-hmm. like her with the with your friends, and it's gonna be fine. And actually, <laughs> it was fine. And all this social effort, it was done in Egypt or even in uh, Syria and Lebanon. Uh, everywhere. <laughs> That's important, you know, because uh, if you don't have your parents that uh, are doing this effort to maybe socialize and maybe like have this integration and talk to other people. You might find yourself like alone, you know. I think this was like a great opportunity for you and uh, and an effort done by your mom uh, more specifically to uh, help you not feeling alone and feeling like accepted and also integrated to the environment and the community. Uh, actually, yes. I remember how, no, this is a memory I have of my friendship, uh, not my friendship, my childhood, because many of my friendships were actually made by the dish parties that my mom would uh, organize or the or how she would cook them like the nice uh, chicken drumsticks that she she knows how to cook very good actually i remember um, like a couple of months ago i met an old friend the first thing she told me like i I've, i haven't seen her in what like i don't know 6 7 years okay the first first thing she told me she was like i really miss your mom's chicken and actually that was something she also, in part of that, she she made this for me so that the kids also like gifts. Anyways, like all kids, even the kids that I get to treat and teach, they like the gifts. So as a mom, she knew how to bring them around me. It helped me out. Like, okay, you're in your school, you be a nice person, so they like you. But also on from her side, she would do things socially. Or, like, befriend their moms and let us, like, go out together or meet in the club or something so that I get to have friends. So this is an interesting point and this raises a question for you. Do you feel that, you know, growing up and trying to adapt and trying to make an effort to, you know, making friends and being accepted, now that you grew up and you are an adult, do you feel that you always need, also you still need to do that effort to be accepted and uh, to feel integrated? Or do you feel that now... You don't have this need. As I grew up, maybe my my point of view shifted a little bit. But I don't think I need to be accepted as much as I became accepting of other people. So I I just switched the roles. Like I, I don't see myself as I want to prove myself that I'm a nice person or I'm a good person or, or that I'm a good friend, anything of that. 
I just switched it and I became accepting of other people and that made it easier so like when I was younger the the thing the, the, the fact that I was trying to adapt almost all the time helped me out that I got to accept any type of character most of the character traits so that helped me out naturally that I get to have a very 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 good group of friends around me right now and that I'm actually very grateful for hmm okay I got it so so if I understood well it helped you to be like to have like a this kind of uh, open mind that allows you to say interact and to understand uh, a lot of different personalities around you but that didn't like influence you in the way you are looking to yourself and how you express yourself as a person yes of course of course every person wants to be loved or accepted but it's not the same pressure because at the end of the day now i'm in my home for the past 10 years or god knows for how long i'm in the same place i'm in the same school i didn't relocate yet so I don't have the same pressure as the one I had when I was younger. So I'm much calmer, of course, and the need to prove or to put myself in the best way out to the people isn't there. But of course, of course, I want to be a better person and a nice person, but not in that way. Okay, so uh, this is great to understand, you know, the background and uh, the childhood uh, experience you had, which was uh, very rich and uh, at the same time uh, kind of unstable because you moved between like a lot of uh, countries in a very short time. Then you moved to Egypt at 14 years old. The second topic I wanted to address with you is like the, the major turning point in your life was when your mom got diagnosed with cancer. And uh, from my understanding, this was during your bachelor. I'm uh, interested to understand like the context. Has anyone in your family ever had cancer? How did you experience this moment? What was the impact on you? As for the family history of cancer, I don't know. They They say that my granddad also had cancer. But it was very late that they didn't get to diagnose him uh, after he passed away. They said that he had uh, also liver cancer. Yet, I'm not very sure of the information. Like, it's not something that I have act- actively witnessed. But yeah, I've witnessed him die, but I wasn't sure of the reason. That's for the family history. And my mom's uh, aunt too. But not my very, uh, like, not for his family members, you know. It was, of course, a major turning point and... Uh, I remember the exact moment I got into the room and she told me that. Actually, my mom was a, a little bit sick way before it. She, was, she wasn't diagnosed. Any, at that time, I, we, we thought that she's, I, we don't know, she's just sick for whatever reason. She gets sick frequently. And we weren't really sure. And sometimes we'd get very like, why are you always sick? Or why are you being silly? Or, or, or. But the thing is, we didn't know, actually. We didn't know that there was something undermining her body yes so i remember that was like the last month in my fifth year of dentistry she got sick around the final month which is basically the practical exams and the final exams of my bachelor degree so it was fine and then i got to uh, i remember that one day she i was at uni like doing stuff and then i came back 
And I just went into her room and she was like, Norhenna, they, uh, they think I have cancer. And I was like, no, 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 of course not. Maybe that's just, I don't know, there's just testing, of course. And no, actually, no, they actually did the test and it is cancer. So, no, it's fine. Cancers are nice. Why, why are you saying like that? Cancer is good. Cancer is easy. So I don't know. That was my first reaction that no, no, it's fine. Cancer is good. And it's, it's, it happens. It's okay. It was a denial or it was uh, like, we can overcome it. Uh, more of like I've always had this role in my in my home or in my house or between my friends and family whatever but my role is always to make stuff look easier or like it's not we can overcome it but more of it's nothing it's it's not denial but it's it's more of easy it's not the the worst thing that could happen and I've, actually I remember how we were first we didn't know what was it like which cancer was it and they thought it was the uh, hemo like blood cancer So we were like doing the test and everything. And the first thing they said that, no, it's not blood. So we're good. And I've made out of this news, a huge news that look, it's not blood cancer. Look how, how, how easy. It's not that bad. Exactly. What she had was also bad, but yet I've always had this in me that I, I know how to, to make it look like it's nothing. And actually, my mom herself, she didn't cry one, but she didn't, she, she didn't, she just, all right, she just arrested me. Just to understand your reaction, words come from, you know, this, uh, this uh, ability to, to just simplify what you're going through and try to find maybe the positive thing or not taking this too seriously. It comes from responsibility, not more, not like um, I'm belittling the situation it's more of responsibility that i don't want her to be sad uh, sometimes they say that uh, that's not how um, a person should be with their parents like i should feel my feelings too and everything but I, i grew up in a home that we take care of each other like very much not just like make sure that everybody's so is okay and everything nowhere we're actively looking for each other and after each other I'm not sure that if I mentioned, but the one common thing or the one thing that is common between everything that happened in my childhood and my adulthood and everything, that I was with my mom. So we were like always together, always. If my dad is here, dad is not here, dad is traveling, dad is uh, late uh, at work, uh, maybe we're us on vacation. It's always me and mom, always. So aside from the daughter-mom relationship, we had... A friendship, a friendship with the fights, you know, with <laughs> including the fight. I remember when we used to fight, you'd hear our voice. We'd had very, very ugly fights. How many different years did you have with your mom in terms of uh, age? Yeah, actually, in fact, there are a lot. There are a lot, and because they've got me after many, many years of marriage, like from like around 15 to 20 years. I'm not very sure, but something that long. So actually, the, uh, the age range wasn't very close. And she was 52 and around 20-something years, age different. So it's a lot. Yet, she always tried to reach to me. Like she, she tried to understand what are the trends, what is okay, what is not. Because as I told you, for her, for example, girls shouldn't talk to boys, for example, when she was younger. But as I grew older, she'd like, No, she wants to know what's happening now. Like, is that not very bad right now? Is that okay? So she'd 
bend and mend her her thinking or her thoughts to try and be there for me. Okay? She wasn't like living alone. No, she tried to figure out how to reach to me and how to come to my mind, like my mindset. And this is something I'm actually very, very, very grateful for. That being said, it's, uh, it builds between me and her a uh, type of relationship that's actually not just a daughter and a mom type of relationship, but also a friendship. Therefore, when when the diagnosis happened or when she told me or when the doctors told me, I wasn't looking at it from a daughter type of um, point of view. It was a friend. At first, daughter, second, third, uh, I'm the only medical personnel in the whole family. So all the responsibility was on me and not because I, it had to, but I wanted it. I took it. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, a lot of uh, elements that are crucial. You mentioned that always living with your mom and being with your mom uh, was the only constant you, you had. And you really experienced, let's say, until, uh, until last year, all your life experience with her and all your challenges and the, the moments uh, you've lived so far with her. It's interesting to understand that you looked at the situation from a friend perspective before a daughter perspective. Do you think that this approach helps you to maybe not being so emotional in front of her and uh, also taking that responsibility? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, but I remember um, that wasn't the right thing to do, to not to try to be very uh, emotional in front of her because at the end of the day, I didn't get to feel the stuff that I should have felt. Because I remember on the fourth day uh, in the hospital, like first in the diagnose, uh, diagnosing process and, and we did like an investigation surgery and everything. I remember on the fourth day, I went into a full on panic attack. Like uh, they took her to, to do the surgery. And I remember I'm in her room crying and like I had a full on panic attack that in a, like I've been told about after I've woken up. It was very bad because at this point, once she left, like when she went to, she's not in the area. I got to feel what I'm feeling. And that was a lot to handle because like for three days, I was very anxious. I knew because as a medical personnel, you know how bad things are. And like, like, you know, the reality of things because you've studied that, you know, the prognosis of many things and you understand what the doctors are saying between them. So I knew everything and I had to repress every single emotion uh, not only from her, but from myself first, from her second, and from the family and friends and everyone. So once they took her to surgery, that was only me in the room. I, I lost it. And then my aunt came and my family, not my family, my friends came. And I don't recall what I'm telling you now is what they told me. Yes, you didn't realize at the moment what was happening. No, no, not at all. And they told me that I went into a full-on panic attack. And that I, I didn't know how to move. I, I, I took meds and everything. And what's funny about that, that after I've done this, the first thing I said was like, did my mom come out? And they say, no, not yet. The first thing that came to my mind that I have to be in the room as if nothing happened because I don't want her to be worried about me. So actually, and that happened. I came back to the room as if nothing happened. And how long did you stay in this kind of... Uh mindset and trying to avoid being emotional and avoid uh, listening to your emotions actually uh, always like 
mean, even when she passed away, I didn't even think about her. Maybe that's my, <laughs> that's how I do. That's how I, I, I feel my, I don't feel my feelings. But I remember I never showed her one time that it's bad. Like, never, never, not once. Hmm. Yeah, I try to be optimistic. Let's not call it optimistic. But I didn't want her to feel that. Look, I'll tell you something. I knew for a fact that my mom didn't fear death by any means. She was okay with it. Her only problem or her only, like, the thing that actually worried her was me. That if I'm going to be okay after her or if I'm going to struggle or, or, or. So I've always made sure to tell her that I'm strong enough. Don't worry about me. So that she's not worried. At least she's not worried. Yeah. And and how long uh, did it take uh, this um, period when your mom got diagnosed uh, until she passed away? So the treatment period? Her treatment? Yes. Uh, I think one year and a half, two years, almost two years. Okay. Uh, actually, my mom passed away. Uh, she only had one more chemo session left, and she was fine. She actually died of a different reason than cancer. She she died of an infection. That's very weird. <laughs> That's very also very funny. But uh, actually, she only had one more chemo session, and she was gonna be fine. She was like, okay, خلاص, we're, we're everything is controlled. Yes, it was terminal. It was terminal. I'm not saying that it was curable at her stage, but it was خلاص, يعني it's تمام, it's treatable. And it was her last session before the like in cancer sometimes they, they do treatments and then when things get like uh, calmer, they give you like an adjunctive treatment so that stabilizes the body until they can go back and do more treatments. More of a prolonging life protocol, مش أكتر. But anyhow, she was good. We still had more time. But we, يعني خلاص الكتب ربنا. Yet she, she was خلاص she was finishing. يعني هي didn't take a lot يعني for her to finish this. Hmm. When your mom passed away, how did you deal with the situation? I know that you mentioned you, you were in your last year uh, of your dentistry studies. Uh, you had uh, to deal with a lot of things. So how did you? overcome that succeed in just continuing your life look i'll tell you uh, i mean first thing as i told you that that she got diagnosed when i was doing my bachelor exam and everything i mean i didn't tell you this but i'm uh, like a nerd <laughs> I'm, i'm such a nerd and that was actually making me very anxious because i wasn't very sure how am i gonna keep on studying this and this and this and this and this and that Somehow, I remember that I used to study with her being in the room and I'm studying on the table beside her. Like, I finished most of my exams on a on a very, very small table. Eye on her and one eye on the book and one eye on her. And I didn't have much of outside help. I don't know, actually. I don't know how did I do that, but I actually graduated with high honors. And maybe I, I believe that that's God. At this point, <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was me, but I believe... When you're struggling, I think you study better. I don't know how. <laughs> I think you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never realize how much you are strong and you have capabilities until you face like a challenge. And afterwards, when you succeed, actually, and when you like hit your target or your uh, what you want to achieve, you kind of, okay, I can't understand how I have done it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. 
and the thing is keeping this in mind like I've, i i now know that i'm actually a strong person like at any given time i would have been like no it's fine i'm i'm, I'm just a person but right this moment and maybe this this sounds a little bit narcissistic but i i don't know if i'm anything but one thing i know that i am is that i'm actually a strong person like you can do whatever i can be put in whatever and i'm gonna pass through it not in the best state yeah i'm not gonna tell you that i have passed through it with like a very very positive attitude and i was optimistic no actually not at all yeah i really 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 um, I, i'm not sure <laughs> but i was really really in a very bad state most of the time actually and even way way before everything that's happening uh way 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 long ago when my mom used to go through stuff like uh, my aunt also passed away a long time ago but uh, my aunt was my mom's little sister and she was like 20 something she died and i remember how my mom was devastated but she knew how to she still chose to know i'm gonna raise my kid i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of her i'm gonna know i'm gonna continue my life with still being sad and when my grandpa passed away also so i got my strength out of her because i've seen her do grief i've seen her grief her dad so much so much يعني لحد مثلا a year ago like بجد before she dies على طول ممكن you you go into the room and find her like maybe crying and I was like see see email and she'd be like I I I remember your um, your grandpa she's like and always make fun of her because like that was very very long ago that's like what 11 years now and she'd say no this is something this is something else yes what you are maybe trying to say if if I'm not mistaken is You can, you know, feel your emotions. You can be sad, but at the same time, you can move forward. You can continue with your life and achieve things. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, of course. You can be sad and you can do life. Yes, in your case, what element helped you to like move forward? Were you focusing maybe on uh, opening your clinic? What uh, kind of project did you have at that time? that help you really to uh, get out of this, uh, you know, hard moments that you mentioned? Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, I remember, Tani, uh, I remember when she, يعني, they told me that she passed away and I resigned immediately from the school and everyone around me were like, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna regret this so much. You're, 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 no, you shouldn't. And actually all the elders in my family were like, Uh, you're gonna stay in your home in your room you're gonna get very depressed and at this moment I knew what I wanted and what I wanted at this time was that I need to relax I want to feel my feelings I don't want to wake up six in the morning to go to work what if I don't want to wake up for the past god knows how many years I've been holding so much responsibilities so much so For once, I wanted to know, just let me be. Every, because I had a problem with the elders in my family at, the, at that time. For me, I was very angry at them because why didn't you help me out? Why did you leave me alone with all of this, with the grief and with the emotions and with the medical reports and with her? But do keep in mind that I was trying to 
cure her depression because at the end she, my mom got a little bit depressed خلص. she was very sad so why did you leave me alone with all of this and I was very angry at them so when that happened and when she passed away and I was like خلص, nobody can ask anything of me right now I did what I did best and I did it alhamdulillah perfectly yeah, they always tell me that see يعني, the great example of um, I'm not sure what is that in English but يعني, I did my my homework. خلاص. You can't talk to me. Just let me be. So I actually resigned of of everything. I stopped going to the clinic. I no, I'm staying. I'm staying in my room. I don't want to. I just want to feel my feelings. And I didn't feel my feelings. I also got back to work. Heads up, Yani. I got back to work. I Yani, it took me like a week or something, and then I baby. But the thing with school, in Nana. I was teaching grade uh, one and two. And teaching grade one and two, you should be a very, very happy teacher. So I remember the clinic I was working at that time. They told me, yani every other case, come do it and just go home. And th- that was very flexible for me. Yani, it's just a case in the day or maybe two maximum. Yani, it's not very overwhelming as teaching. Because teaching, I have to show up every day. So I started again, and uh, here comes Nino, the page. Uh, I started Nino when just before my mom passes away with like what one or two months. I didn't really put effort into it. And could you explain just uh, a little bit, Nurhan, what is Nino and what's uh, the aim of it? Uh, Nino is my uh, Instagram page, which is a dental account mainly, but it's a, it's an everything. For kids, like teaching, parenting, and of course, dental, as I'm a dentist. It's like a business account, but also educational and fun. So it's everything kids. Because I do everything that is kids. What I said was like, let me go back. Let me start baby steps back into Nino. And I got very invested into it. Like very, very much. Because it started growing and growing and growing and growing. And from that point onwards, I started like, you've had, now you have your own patients and they, they love you and they want you to grow more. So I started looking for other clinics to be part of and grow as a pediatric dentist and uh, as a private tutor, of course. Things went from here. And sometimes I believe that was a coping mechanism to always put, put work in my day, like, I need to make sure that every hour of my day is busy, which is, I know that's not the smartest or healthiest thing to do, but for me, that was the best way to keep me going. And here is a message I want to say that you shouldn't feel guilty that you're doing something that's unhealthy by standards, because if that's going to do you a greater good, then that's that, you know yourself better, Yani. For me, if I didn't have this much work, I would have been in my room, door closed, no lights. I would have just been into a very, very bad depression. But being so worked up in the clinic and, 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 that actually helped me be better. So you don't really have to go by the norms or by the psychological content on Instagram and TikTok right now. But... Just do what you feel better. And when you know you need to see someone like a psychiatrist or a therapist or, 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 you know. Sometimes you know. 
That's a very good uh, message, you know, to hear. Uh, everyone has its own way of dealing with, you know, uh, challenges, struggles, and we don't have all the same strategy to overcome that. In your case, it was like make yourself busy with work helped you to kind of uh, not staying in the same like uh, emotional state and still thinking about, you know, your mom's uh, death. What works for you? Uh, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's a great to hear that now this is something that helped you to, to overcome uh, that period. And do you still have also these moments w where you uh, give yourself the space and the time to, to feel your emotions? And Of course, of course, and everyone, like, my friends know this, <laughs> they, they, my friends know that too, because every, like, a while, I get very overwhelmed and everything, so I take, like, what, two days off, or three days off, which I, I just lay in bed, do nothing, watch something, uh, maybe work out, maybe eat nice, eat a good meal, maybe just talk to people, or my comfort people, not everyone about book to be honest because that's my breaking down uh, time now so yes yes and it's very nice i i, I really look forward <laughs> to my breaking my breakdown week they know it they my friends know it and my parents like my dad now when they when he starts seeing me like creep into my room they, he knows what's up colors and this is her her own time to feel her feelings so just let her be And I'm actually grateful for that. They, they never pressured me out of it. This is something I'm super, super, super grateful for. Because I don't like being pressured. And if you pressure someone to not be sad, that would only make them sad and anxious. It won't take them out of the sadness. The sadness is there. So you, you just just feel it. So yes, yes, of course, I get my uh, my days off that I you know. I just cancel patients. I cancel uh, tutoring sessions. I cancel everything. I just, I just. I think this is healthy to to still have this moment for you. You know, this is so important. As you mentioned, when your mom got diagnosed and you tried to remove your emotions and not feeling uh, them, you you did like a panic attack. You know, so now that you are maybe more okay with taking that time for you and for leaving your emotions, help you as well to like have this kind of balance you know so now your hand from my understanding you always lived with your mom and now that your mom passed away uh, I know we've mentioned together that your dad uh, is living abroad I was curious to to know how is it to to live alone without your your mom do you feel like uh, this loneliness or do you, did you find also a way to to feel busy and surrounded by your support system Um, actually, uh, at first, like in the first two, three months, I was in my denial phase or not the phase. It's not denial phase, but the, the, I'm so strong. It's okay. Phase or like, I'm still shocked by what happened, uh, phase or that I still don't believe that this actually happened the phase. And it wasn't very bad at the very start, Lainey, in the very first two, three months, I was like, fine, because I wasn't really focused, Yani. I didn't really uh, understand the nature of my new life. But then uh, there is something called, uh, I think, <laughs> it's something effect. And which means, يعني, I'm not sure what is it, but we'll figure it out. Uh, it's basically that when somebody dies or 
something like that you don't only lose the person but you own for example you lose your finance the person who was in control of the finances مثلا, or the person who took care of the food مثلا, or the person who took and it's just more than the person it's just برضو حاجات in the normal day my mom was in control of the house with everything in it because as I told you my dad always lived abroad she was in control of every single thing whether it's food it's the finances of the house the uh, the electricity da 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 everything so the first two months okay my dad was still here somehow and he was like and everybody actually didn't ask anything of me he wouldn't ask for the money and the you you understand like they respected what happened so nobody asked for anything but around like the fourth month they start asking you where's the rent for example where's the the electricity bill where's the gas bill where's and then maybe the bank started calling like who's gonna uh, take that who's gonna do that and I had a nanny at the time we had a huge problem with her and usually problems with mother nannies or anybody working in the house is usually my mom's problem but it was my problem now so me having to face that also wasn't easy to like for me was it was so scary because I what if I just use all of the money what do I do exactly because my allowance is one thing and the house's finance is another thing. So that was very scary for me. So I went from the denial or the what is happening phase to the very other, <laughs> what should I do now? So that was a very, very, it was ugly. Because I, I have to, again, I have to put like my, my sadness aside. And I have to, again, again get free. Again. And how are you dealing with that today? So uh, what helped you to just, you know, starting to take ownership on these uh, responsibilities and deal with it? As I told you before, I'm not very sure how I passed through this. But somehow I managed the, the finances and I'm, I'm now best friends with the, with the, with the Bawib. I'm now, <laughs> me and Amma Ibrahim are very, very good friends right now. And yes, I don't know how this happened, but it day by day thing yani i didn't plan on like no i want to do a plan or 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 just i think life teaches you stuff without you noticing yani i think the best way to learn something is to actually go through it because no matter how many times like my aunt would stay with me and tell me nurhan uh, this amount of money is for that and this amount of money is for this and uh, i wouldn't understand actually i was like maybe okay but actually, when uh, one month I didn't have enough money to pay the electricity bill, that taught me more than the actual two hours of her trying to tell me that you have to keep this for emergencies and that for emergency. You're, you're totally right. You know, the best uh, way to, to learn is to leave and to, to just, uh, you know, taking some actions by yourself. And as you mentioned, it's a day-to-day process. Uh, so it's great to hear that you that now you developed like a strong relationship with El Baweb and you just like uh, figure out this by your own. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, great to hear that, uh, Nurhan. 
we are almost at the end of the episode and uh, I really like to end um, asking my guests to finish by any advice or any learning they want to share with the audience. So if you have like a specific message you want to address, I will leave you the floor for it. Uh, I just want to mention that you don't have to be like in the best state to do something in life or to be great at something or to go to work or as simple as just exist. You can be tremendously sad, heavily medicated, and also still be a great person. So I really hope we stop with the... Because I've seen a lot of toxic positivity around the internet lately, and it, it gets me very furious because, no, this is not how life happens, because everyone is struggling and everyone is going through a lot. So you don't have to be in the perfect shape to do something. Like, for example, you don't have to be in the perfect shape to go to the gym. And this is actually why we go to the gym, to be better. So just do life, even if you're hating the fact that you're still alive. So I hope everyone is okay, and I hope everyone finds peace in whatever they're going through. That's a great way to conclude, Norhan. I want to tell you a big thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Choosing Control podcast. It was a true pleasure having this conversation together today and to get to know your impressive uh, journey and challenges. I would also like to express my gratitude uh, to our listeners. Your support and engagement uh, mean the world to us. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends. Your feedback keeps us going. I also have a small request. If you are an Arab woman and you want to share your own story, your challenges, your success through our platform, please DM me on the podcast Instagram page. It's called she.is.in.control. I will also share in the episode description Nino Instagram page so we can follow this amazing woman. Looking forward to meeting you next Sunday to share with you another inspiring story which I hope you will like. See you next week.